Welcome inside the Celtics Lab podcast. We are six games into the 2021 season, a little less than 10% of the games to be played in a pandemic truncated 72 game season. Do we have a baseline of what this team is, or are we still in preseason mode for all intents and purposes? I'm Justin Quinn here with Alex Goldberg, along with guest Celtic Hubs, Sam Sheehan, and off the glasses, Corey Waldron, to try and assess this season's roster so far. Welcome to the pod. How is everyone doing? Um, uh, isolated. Yeah. Uh, uh, the new year, new beginnings, love and life, baby. I, uh, I feel the same way. Uh, new year, new vibes. Um, and I mean, a little bit less vibes for you guys because the Celtics aren't off to a fantastic start, but for a Pacers fan, I, I feel great. You should four and one tight at the top of the East. Uh, we're going to have a lot to talk about, uh, the two games we played, but before we get to that, we have some uh, very uplifting news. Uh, it seems to be coming at a regular pace. I guess that's what happens when people age. But another Celtic great has left us. Paul Westfall uh, passed today from uh, cancer of the brain, I believe. He won a title with the Celtics in 1974. It's been a rough, rough th- uh, two months here. Yeah. Losing Tommy and... Um... Then Westfall, I, I mean, you know, Casey Jones as well. The Celtics kind of legends keep dropping off. And uh, one's got a feel for Bill Russell, who seems like he's losing a lot of friends these days. Yeah, I, I really, I'm getting kind of burnt out trying to write something about each of these guys when they pass. And not because they don't deserve it. It's just like with everything that's going on in the world right now, it's it's really hard to just like I don't know yeah. I don't know quite how to say it just like to to to, to be bandwidth yeah. yeah you can't really have the bandwidth for there's just kind of tragedy everywhere so you know so we we don't get to allocate the same amount of uh, mental space to you know tragedy that you know of uh, you know people we respect but for all intents and purposes strangers versus like <laughs> yeah. you know what we got going on otherwise yeah it's been it's been rough for that really desensitizing the uh losing a lot of people in the pandemic like this that said tommy hurt though tommy really hurt for real for me yeah yeah tommy wasn't quite the same like you know i've I've posted lots about casey in his career doing my history posts every morning i've i've written about westfall but i like tommy tommy was tangible because he was there so yeah kind of different just the, I, I I have to get off and say this, which is that the drop off from Tommy to Scal is just really staggering. I am not the biggest Scal guy in the world, so it's uh, the the Celtics broadcast is certainly missing some some extra juice there. Yeah, I mean, as as a guy outside of like the Celtics fan base, like listening to the Celtics broadcast in the past couple of years, like especially like that Isaiah Thomas run, like just like hearing ah. Tommy always go, the little guy, like <laughs> that was always just so enjoyable for those broadcasts. And um, the few games I've watched with some of with Scal is definitely not the same at all. No, that's not. It's it's rough, man. I mean, hopefully, you know. They'll, they'll realize their ways and they'll hire the riffs man to get on there with Mormon, but uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, ideal world. I'm going to keep pushing for that in the meantime, but uh, yeah, I mean, uh, not a lot coming up the, the Celtics way, but uh, it's been a, uh, you know, if you told me before the year, we're going to start, what are we? 
two and four, three and three, three, three. And three. That's fine. <laughs> like it's not great. I just you know. No, I think that's no. fair. It's it's yeah, you t- if you showed me the schedule and everything beforehand, it's you know, it is what it is. It was a it was a rough opening schedule, but and it's going to be a rough regular season. I mean. That is what it is, but yeah, it's tough to not be super disappointed, especially with that Detroit loss last mm. night. Man, yeah, that was tough. So, what are we thinking of this this team after these six games? Are, are are we still thinking that they could be a contender? They're clearly not a contender at the moment, but I mean, can this roster be kind of whipped into shape? Uh, can it be more of a pretender, or is it? Are we looking at like a plain? Kind of a situation uh, come February. Like, what, 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 what do we think of this team? I, I said coming into the year that I would not be surprised if the Celtics were a six seed, and that's kind of that's still where I stand. Um, I still think the Celtics could be kind of a a sleeping uh, kind of a sleeper team for all intents and purposes. Because you know, I'm sure we'll get into all of this, but um, what's clear to me is the big lineup um, has not worked. Um, and I think that, you know, a healthy Kemba Walker, pray to God, coming back would make that um, give the, you know, the roster a little bit more balance and make uh, to the point where they could make some, you know, good decisions. And, um, you know, that that kind of trickles down. Um, I mean, we've gotten more out of Peyton Pritchard than I certainly expected. Um, so, you know, that's that's a bright spot. And the other big thing is Jalen Brown looks like he's made, you know, not just lucky strides, but like real strides. Like this is five games of him, like clearly making a huge improvement on like playmaking to the point where like, it's probably a good bet that he'll be an all-star this year. And he might even have a, like a, a chance at like all NBA um, later on. So I, you know, I still think this team has a very high ceiling, but it's just with Romeo Langford out with Kemba Walker out, you know, with, no preseason to sort of uh, figure out what this roster is. I just think it's going to be painful um, for this first half of the regular season. And this is probably about what I expected to be honest coming into the year. Yeah. I would largely agree with what Sam just said. I think um, there are kind of two things in my mind that could change the trajectory of the Celtics season going forward. Uh, The first is obviously, you know, we have an all-star point guard uh, sitting on ice uh, waiting to heal up from his knee injury. If Kemba Walker can come back and be 85 to 90% of the guy that uh, he was at the beginning of last season, that can certainly elevate the Celtics into more realistic championship expectations. But the other thing to consider is, and this is something that we'll touch on later, uh, that the players that the Celtics could potentially add using their massive traded player exception from the Gordon Hayward deal. So those two things could certainly change uh, where the Celtics take the Celtics from, you know, from where they are now, which is kind of a, a borderline contender. That's not really a contender to an actual contender, but barring uh, Walker coming back at uh, complete health or the Celtics, uh, acquiring a like borderline star level player. There's definitely a ceiling to what this team of ca- is capable of now. And, you know, like at, as Sam said before, Jalen Brown has taken some major steps uh, as far as his improvement uh, goes. And Jason Tatum is still an all-star level NBA forward and at his best, probably one of the top 
12-ish guys in the league. So that's always going to keep you in games. But the Celtics are definitely lacking that kind of third guy that can really put them over the top right now. Yeah, I, I agree with you guys. I mean, I think Kemba Walker's health obviously is that is the biggest X factor. Like, what he's gonna what is he gonna look like? And then that trade player exception. I mean, that's again, what it's 21, 21 million basically. Yeah. I mean, that's an all star level player if you find the right guy. Um, and I agree with you guys on Jalen Brown. Like, you know, you don't really miss Goran Hayward with how Jalen Brown stepped into the larger role. He's he has more volume now. He gets more looks, and the playmaking wise and the handle wise, he continues to get better. That was like my biggest takeaway from last season was how much better his handle got, and it seems like that's only improved again this year. But only you know two and a half months off of an off season. So there's a lot of surprises. At least you know, again, it's kind of hard to assess. It, it, it still feels like this is kind of preseason. Really, because I mean, we're looking at the Nets also being three and three. The Bucks are three and three. We have the 76ers, the Magic, the Hawks, and the Pacers, which we should talk about uh, at four and one in the East. Um, let's talk about the Pacers a little bit since we have Corey on the show. Um, what, what's surprising us about the Pacers? I mean, for me, it's a bonus more than anything. What are your thoughts on him? I mean, Sabonis has really, I think, benefited from Nate Bjorkman. Uh, he's he's stretching the floor now. He, uh, he's shooting really well from three. He was two for two the other night against Cleveland. Um, him expanding his range is probably the biggest part. Again, he's never going to be a top-notch defender. He can be an average defender, and you have Miles Turner to kind of make up for some of those defensive liabilities that Sabonis has. But, I mean, this guy's averaging, you know, 23 11 and 7 or, or 6 um, which is ridiculous and the ability to space the floor he's just tremendous um, from the low post able to play um, you know he's arguably the best facilitator on this Pacers team uh, despite you know having a guy like Malcolm Brogdon and Victor Oladipo but he's just gotten better and for a guy who doesn't necessarily have um, the, the type of defense you want, if he's going to be that well-rounded offensively, it just makes up for that defense. And that's been the biggest takeaway is how much better he's gotten offensively. Yeah. I mean, I, I had, I had kind of um, slept on the Pacers coming into the year just because, you know, I think it was, it, it, I had kind of put them out of my mind because it seemed like they were kind of gearing up for like a detonation of the team or like a, a rebuild of some kind, like um, with, you know, it being, uh, you know, Victor Oladipo coming off an injury and him being, you know, an unrestricted free agent. And, you know, there were grumbles about Miles Turner maybe not being happy with his role in like national media, but boy, it doesn't seem, it doesn't seem like that's much of a problem right now. Any of that. I mean, Victor looks healthy. I think the thing that really struck me watching, like watching the Pacers play is like, who's their worst starter? Like they've got great right. starters all up and down the left. Like Malcolm Brogdon gives us work every time. Like I, I think yeah. I think people sleep on how good of a player Malcolm Brogdon is, especially like just as a as an attacker. Um, you know, getting into the paint, and they've got these pieces that like really fit together well. I think Victor Oladipo, you know, being back and looking pretty healthy, at least in my opinion, like is kind of uh, you know kind of brings everything back to equilibrium, but I mean, you've got a locked in miles Turner who is, you know, um, read everyone, uh, hemming and hawing about how he's not that good. And he's well, how many blocks does he have a game? Like five or something. Like that? He's averaging like, 4.4 4 blocks. Yeah. There we go. Yeah. yeah. Ja- huge amount of blocks. He's got quite a few steals too. Like uh, st- 2.2 per game. Yeah. He's 4.4 yeah. 4 and 2.2. Yeah. So, I mean, that's a uh, look, I mean, when you have a great starting five with no 
And I, th- I think I, TJ Warren got hurt the other day, right? So he's yeah, he's he's out indefinitely with a stress fracture. So that's that's yeah. a blow. That's rough because TJ was TJ was giving us the business too, like in those Pacers games. Like I think people who weren't familiar with TJ Warren's body of work, um, you know, in the bubble, got a you know a first front row seats to him uh, him in those Celtics games, and I, I don't know. I think they're going to be they're going to be a tough out, you know, like, and I think that, um, you know, I think they get a little bit more, um, you know, some, some scoring firepower off of the bench. Um, I think they're going to be, they're, they're going to be a tough out. And I'm honestly, you know, say what you want about the Pacers early season schedule. I would not be shocked to see them pretty far <laughs> Celtics in the standings come the end of the year. We're going to be looking up at the Pacers and this series is going to be important. <laughs> and who, who won and lost these games. As yeah, far as home is concerned. I think that's entirely possible. And, um, you know, you mentioned the bench. I mean, the Holiday brothers coming off the bench have provided some real juice offensively, and they're both solid on D. Uh, you know, I, TJ McConnell is just such a frustrating player to go against. I can definitely I, – I just – every time that the Celtics go up against a TJ McConnell team, he makes three to four plays that I'm just sitting there kind of scratching my head, like, why is TJ McConnell doing this to us? And yet he just keeps doing it. Um, you know – Corey, you mentioned kind of, uh, and Sam as well, Brogdon and kind of how good he's looked in these past few games. I mean, I will still for the life of me just never understand why Milwaukee passed on keeping yeah. Malcolm Brogdon. That's they had great. to pay Eric Bledsoe. Yeah. Just like, what are you doing? What are you doing? Malcolm Brogdon is better than that guy and he's on a great contract. So huge steal for the Pacers there. I mean, in my opinion, Brogdon is like probably the Pacers' second best player, at least through this season. Uh, and, you know, to kind of put a bow on it, Corey, I think you're totally on the money when it comes to Bjorkren and how he's unlocked this offense. Uh, there were some sets in that game, you know, like double screens off the curl and just like really gorgeous high pick and roll action, all of these stuff, all of these things that just looked completely different from the Pacers last year where they really kind of devolved into ISO ball uh, when push came to shove and with a team that has some good, but not necessarily elite isolation scores that, that gave, gave them some predictable results. But, you know, in, in this iteration, the Pacers, you see, uh, Sabonis flying off screens and catching at the elbow in a triple threat stance with the ability to, uh, you know, hit other cutters for assists to go up and score himself. It just seems like Bjorkren has totally reinvented uh, kind of the Pacers scheme and uh, the results have paid dividends. I, I do think the TJ Warren injury is something to watch. TJ was among the Pacers best uh, offensive players last year and was having a good year this year and it's going to be tough to replicate his value, but, um, and, and more so more importantly than anything, it kind of just makes the margin of error even thinner for Indy. That being said, you know, Brogdon, Miles, Sabonis, Oladipo have all looked really good. And when you have four guys just rolling like that, they're going to be hard to beat. And, and I think that's something too, just to keep, like you mentioned this TJ Warren injury. I know I remember, I won't forget it. Like this starting lineup again, TJ Warren, you know, the, the lineup we saw, saw for four games or three games, um, you know, they only played 15 games in total last year together, that five. And already this season, you're missing one guy out indefinitely. And if you're just looking at the track record, 
you know, Malcolm Brogdon is playing really good now and healthy, but he doesn't have a good history of staying healthy. So that's just the issue with the Pacers in general is can this team that starting five, which we mentioned is pretty good. Can they actually stay healthy and play together? Because again, for the last couple of years, it really just hasn't been the case for this Indiana team. Corey, as an external set of eyes, what do you see when you see Boston playing Indiana and if you've seen any other games? Like how what is your assessment of this team? To me, they seem very good when they focused. They they were able to beat the Bucks. They were able to hang with the Nets for three quarters um, until they fell apart in the fourth when they played them. But they don't seem to be very focused. So what are your thoughts on the Celtics? Um it's it's weird just seeing some of the slow starts from like guys like Jason Tatum at times. Um, and again, like I, I know you guys have probably seen it as well. The the Tatum free throw line discrepancy to me is like one of the weirdest things. You know, he went what the first couple of games without even getting a single attempt. And I don't know if it's him not being aggressive enough and getting enough contact and driving to the rim um, or if he's just not getting those superstar calls that he probably should be getting at this point of his career already. It just feels like at times, you know, again, like in those Pacer games, like Peyton Pritchard may have been like the fourth best player in certain stretches of that game or the third best player. Um, and then again, like I love Marcus Smart, but it feels like late in games, Marcus Smart wants to be the hero a lot of times. And I, I don't think Marcus Smart needs to go or is batter by any means, but it just feels like at times they just get out of character. Um, with themselves and I think that's almost my biggest takeaway is it feels like they know who they are at times and then some points of the game they kind of forget what works for them is it just me or does it seem that like compared to last season as well that Jason Tatum kind of needs like a runway to kind of get his confidence going because it seemed like last season kind of started the same way too he was very tentative um he didn't really seem to assert himself and then as the season kind of went on and on and on um, he seemed to increasingly gain confidence, particularly once he was named to the all-star team. Yeah. I mean, that's my thing with Jason Tatum. He's first team all NBA boy. He looks rough out there. And then looking down at the box score and seeing that he has like 28, <laughs> yeah. but like he, he, he scores like, this is the, the, the reason I know Jason Tatum's like a, a, a really good player is because he'll look like he's having a bad game and he'll still have like 28 points like or like pretty effortlessly like it looks like Jay it looks like Jalen's on fire and Jason's been scoring about the same amount that like he has I think it's just you know I think a very astute of Corey to point out that you know Jason Tatum doesn't get the free throw line because that's like the big hole in Jason Tatum's game is he just doesn't he shies away from contact um, stoppable there too yeah <laughs> like and well I like, I'm not, this has kind of been a thing for his whole career. I think we remember back in the, when Kyrie was on the team, Kyrie is, is similarly contact averse, but is just like a world, probably like the, maybe one of the best finishers in NBA history. So he could just do, he could avoid contact and do these weird, you know, scoopy up off high off the glass, finger roll, you know, whatever sh shots that go in and it's fine. Cause it goes in. Jason Tatum will make his shots so much harder on himself. And it is just such a dichotomy versus like Jalen Brown, who, you know, will seeks out contact now at this point in his career. And that's been a huge difference maker for him, you know, becoming as good as he is, is, you know, that he doesn't shy away from that contact. So that's going to be, you know, Jason Tatum's next step in his development is getting that together. And I, I think that's when he's going to become the true, you know, that's, that's what's going to bring him from, you know, all NBA guy 
you know, second banana guy to a true best player on a championship team t- caliber, you know, guy, but he's not quite there yet. Um, yeah. He's still doing this weird thing where he'll go up uh, for a layup and instead of looking for contact and just trying to draw two free throws, he'll do this like strange craning motion where he'll just like try to hang his arm around the defender. And I almost feel like there are times when Tatum is like going for an and one uh, instead of just regular free throws and kind of contorts his body at a weird angle and ends up missing and not getting the call. So uh, you're right. I think it is definitely uh, part of the development curve for him, just like learning to kind of take what the defense gives you and go for those free throws instead of trying to make everything into an and one or like a flashy finish. But I think the big thing for me with Tatum is that last year, the, the real kind of impetus behind his leap was that he became a demonstrably better defender. Uh, around midseason, he became way more engaged on that end. And I think um, Tatum is a guy who really is at his most deadly when he gets a lot of transition opportunities. So part of this is going to be that the Celtics just need to improve on the defensive end for Tatum to be at his most effective. Um, but, you know, if he can stay engaged on that end, if he can kind of get those leak outs, I think he can uh he can kind of go back into that rarefied air of being like a borderline MVP contender. But, uh, you know, in fairness uh, to the Celtics as well, I think the teams that kind of went deep in the bubble last year have all, for the most part, gotten off to slower starts than they would like. Uh, it definitely, I think there's some fatigue to be factored in here. Like, I don't know about you guys, but uh the game last night against the Pistons seemed like the Celtics were just asleep for the entire first half and kind of not trying at all. So uh, part of it will just be sorting out rotations, improving on defense and kind of getting into like NBA conditioning. And uh, I think once that happens, we'll start to see a Tatum that looks more like the guy that was really dominating towards the end of last year. So for other good things that we're seeing early, uh, Jalen Brown, we, we started talking a little bit about him, career high, 42 points uh, against one of the worst teams I've ever seen take the field. Uh, is that kind of fool's gold? I mean, that was, they were down seven players, the Memphis Grizzlies, who were already not a fantastic team. Um, what do we make of his play so far? He, he's averaging, I think, around 28 points a game. He's looking better in terms of ball handling, and as you guys were mentioning, passing than he ever has. What do you feel about Jalen Brown? I think it's kind of a yes and no to the fool's gold question regarding the 42-point game. Obviously, Memphis was running out a shell of a team, especially without their two best players, Jaron Jackson and John Morant. Uh, That being said, I think in every game that I've seen up to this point, Jalen has looked noticeably better and more engaged. Um, He's attacking the hole uh, with, like, a real ferocity uh he's hitting off the dribble and catch and shoot threes at a much higher rate than he has at any point in his career and his mid-range game looks icy so i think is is the 42 point margin potentially a little inflated given who he was playing against yeah probably but uh i i still think he he looks like the best version of him that i have ever seen up to this point yeah no, i think he's going to be He's going to be a big part of this. Like I, 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 part of the reason I'm, I'm bullish on the Celtics, you know, getting back to the Eastern conference finals or having a chance, even in a, 
even in an East where, you, you know, that's demonstrably better than it was last year, especially with the weirdness going on with the bubble is a lot of that does lie in how impressed I've been with, you know, Jalen Brown. I mean, I think people kind of write off the Celtics as done because they lost Gordon Hayward and took a huge step back. The team that made the Eastern conference three out of the last four years, that was not, they never had Gordon Hayward for any of that, any of those (laughs) playoff runs. Like, you know, so you're basically really what you're talking about in terms of differences is you're talking about uh, Jeff Teague instead of Brad Wanamaker and Tristan Thompson instead of Venus Cantor, which frankly to me is a huge improvement. I've really liked um, Tristan Thompson and I, you know, I I don't know. I really think, again, I I really want to stress that I think coming into the year, it's still going to be a rocky road. The Celtics are going to get their shit kicked in a couple of night times a night, like that, like with the regular season until Kemba comes back. And ultimately what this season is going to come down to, like every NBA season does for every team is health at the end of the day, you know, like um, I think the Celtics could make no moves right now with the way that Jalen Brown's playing and what we know Jason Tatum is capable of. I think if we get a reasonably hemp, uh, healthy Kemba Walker, they're in the championship contender realm. They're in the tier that would need luck. You know what I'm saying? Like you need someone else to get injured. Like you'd need to be like, but they're, you know, the, they, they could be like the Toronto Raptors of, you know, whatever year that was, or, you know, the Miami heat last year, or, you know, whatever the, whatever the case might be. So I, I don't, I'm not, I'm not really ready to panic. And I think Jalen Brown's a big reason why I'm not panicking because I do think that he is, you know, he, he's still got some adjustments to make on defense. That's still his big weakness is off ball defense and awareness there. But, you know, I, I think they've been, uh, I, I, I'm still very bullish on the Celtics come playoff time and when it's time to play real playoff games. Yeah, I'm with you guys on that. I, I don't think there's fool's gold. I don't think there's necessarily a reason to panic. Because again, like as you guys mentioned, you lost Hayward, but it just meant that Jalen Brown and, and Jason Tatum, your two blossoming stars, were going to have more touches. And they were going to be a bigger vocal point of that team. And the simple fact is, without Kemba and some of this roster trying to figure things out, there's going to be, as you mentioned, some of that early season getting your teeth kicked in. Um, and again, you know, Tristan Thompson, I think, was a good get. Jeff Teague has actually surprised me. I was pretty sold that he was washed after how he looked in Atlanta last year. And he's had some decent stretches offensively. Um, but as, you know, just mentioned, it's, it's about health. Uh, who can stay healthy during the playoff team? And if, if I'm betting money on the Celtics in, a, in the playoffs, I still think they're one of the three teams that I'm confident can make it to the Eastern Conference Finals. You know, that's the Bucks, that's the Nets, and that's the Celtics. I, I don't necessarily – even last year, I still think, you know, if you play that – uh, Eastern Conference Finals, you know, seven more times. I think the Celtics come out of that series. I'm still shocked the Celtics didn't win that series against Miami. Um, but some slow starts, everything else kind of fell apart. Um, but, yeah, I, I'm not I'm not worried about Jalen Brown uh, falling back or, or not being able to keep this up because it just feels like, you know, this has been in the making. And with Gordon Hayward gone, he's just taking advantage of it. Robert Williams has been really good. Yes. Yeah. So uh, – r- what do we do with them? Where are we playing? Well, How do we play? Uh, I, I have some thoughts on that. So um, the Boston Celtics, uh, I think one of the things that's been making the rounds on Celtics Twitter and that I am at least somewhat inclined to agree with after watching these past few games is that the double big starting lineup of Daniel Tice and Tristan Thompson, while perhaps well-intentioned, doesn't really work in the modern NBA. Right. 
Um, yeah, uh, Thompson is a complete non-shooting threat. You saw in the game against the Pistons last night, there were a couple of sequences where uh, they would try and run this like weird high-low pick-and-roll game with Thompson and Tice, and the defense would just completely sag off on Thompson because they knew he wasn't going to shoot the ball. Uh, I do not think that that lineup is going to be viable going forward. And I actually think that given how well Rob has played off the bench, I mean, he's come in and injected energy in basically every game that he's played in. He's just been relentlessly attacking the glass, blocking shots. And the thing that I've really been impressed with is uh, his development as a passer has been astounding. He's really become a high quality passing big man. So all of this leads me to my final conclusion on this matter, which is that I think Robert Williams has played his way into the starting lineup. And I think it might, I think it might not be something that we see right now, but I think it's something that could happen. And I think in some cases should happen. Rob has looked really, really good. And uh, I wouldn't be shocked if he's in the starting lineup. Yeah. I mean, this, my, my, uh, my, my take, I am, I am a Robert Williams truther, so I am. I, I will never. I will never besmirch my my, my lovely son Robert. Um, that's he's he's an angel and could do no wrong in my eyes. Um, but I do think um, something that Rob really struggled with um, in the past is big centers. Um, he gets easily like overwhelmed um, in the post. Um, I mean, Joel Embiid cooks everybody, but I mean, Rob can't handle guys like that, like Joel Embiid, but. One of the things I noticed in that Grizzlies game, um, I kind of thought we were going to get when he and Jonas Valanciunas saw minutes against each other. I thought Rob was kind of kind of get worked, um, and that didn't happen. Um, he did a great job um, against Something. Jonas Valanciunas. Yeah, um, which is not. And if that if Rob is going to play good defense against guys like that, we've really got something here because that's what that's what Tristan Thompson came in to do. Tristan Thompson came in to be the Enos Cantor replacement who can guard pick and rolls. Because that was a Enos Cantor was unplayable for the Celtics because he can't guard a pick and roll and it just gives them a fatally flawed defense. I'm not going to talk about this right now. <laughs> I'm, <laughs> mad, I'm mad. I'm mad talking about it anyway. But um, I like the Tristan Thompson signing um, in general, and I think that he gives. I think he's been a great locker room presence. I think it's great for Rob to have uh, a guy like that showing him, hey, um, if you're good in the NBA, um, you can you can be Kardashian adjacent and be a cool guy and make a ton of money. <laughs> like, you know, that's, um, I, I like Tristan as like a, as a role model and like a hardworking guy. And by all accounts, like he was a big vocal presence when, you know, the Cavs were down three, one in that finals and came back to win. So that, you know, he's, he's a foxhole guy, um, which I, you know, like, and I think he's a good member of the starting five. I think Daniel Tice is a great player. Um, the Celtics, it's great to have, this is a luxury. This is the only part of their roster where they have luxury. Um, and I think that's why they want to try and use that, the two big lineup, what, what Brad was thinking. And quite frankly, I kind of like the two big lineup in theory to start the year because it meant Rob could play more and Grant. Um, and it was a way to alleviate some of this thinness on the wing with not knowing like who Peyton Pritchard and Jeff Teague were going to be coming into the year. Um, but it, like you said, it's clearly not worked. Um, it's not viable in today's NBA. Um, Daniel Tice is not enough. He's a, he can shoot threes, but like as a center position on like a, a stretch for, he can't, he can't stretch the floor from the power forward position. And it does kill the Celtic spacing for a team that is not, doesn't have a ton of it to begin with. 
And I think with those type of lineups, that's where you end up with, you know, Jalen and Jason kind of standing around looking like they don't know what to do. And then when, you know, the Celtics are standing around looking like nobody knows what to do. That's when Marcus smart takes the keys and everybody gets mad at smart for (laughs) doing something when no one else will. So I, I, I don't know. I think, I think Rob, I'm very encouraged um, by Rob, what I've seen from Rob. Um, I was very worried about him in the preseason. He had a couple of bad games, but he looks great and he could be, a really good player in this league for a long time. If he can actually, if that's real, that he can start guarding some of these bigger centers without getting himself in foul trouble. Um, uh, you know, I'm, I'm rambling on a little bit, but just my final point is I think that this is again, something that's going to be beneficial in the playoffs against other bigs like Giannis and Embiid um, and these other guys that you're going to have to see where guys are going to be in foul trouble. Um, and the Celtics having an assortment of guys who, can absorb fouls incredibly play in like Tristan Thompson, Daniel Tice and Rob Williams is going to be a luxury, but for now it's just tough to have all of those guys see the floor. Um, and, you know, you got to think at least one of them is going to be going out um, in a trade. If something like that were to come up um, where they needed to attach a player, um, I, my money would be on Daniel Tice actually in that situation because he is expiring um, and a restricted free agent. And I'm not sure the Celtics are going to have the money to pay him to stick around. So that's just my two cents. I think that's been the general feeling of a lot of people I've been talking to. And I definitely agree. I, it's got to be feeling like it's got to be weird to be playing out of position effectively, sucking at it and doing so more or less with the knowledge. That there's a very good chance that you're kind of precipitating your own exit. Yeah. I, I just think he's like, because they're all starting caliber. Like we know Daniel Tice is a starting caliber playoff guy. Like he did it. <laughs> he literally yeah. did it. Like Tristan Thompson was the starting center that dethroned the Warriors, um, the healthy Warriors, I might add, um, you know, pre-KD, but still. And, you know, Robert is like up and coming. Like this is, this is, it's so funny because the Celtics had so many years of center spot being this black hole where nothing good could happen and, Al Horford was like playing center, but was he power forward? And then he became a full-time center. And now they have this, you know, this is the only position where they have real riches, you know, mm-hmm. like is, is this, it's weird. It's bizarro, bizarro Celtics team. So Pritchard is another bright spot. Oh yeah. Fast PC. Fast PC, baby. Other than the Detroit game, which is going to be whopping zero points, but still was able to at least help out a bit. Got a couple of steals, a couple of assists. Um, what are our thoughts on his role when Kemba comes back? Well, so I, th- I want to start by saying that uh, Peyton Pritchard is perhaps one of the only Celtics who can reliably hit a three-pointer. And so for that alone, he should be a guy who gets heavy minutes. Uh, I, you know, he, the, the whole thing about Pritchard and, you know, a lot of people, myself included, were kind of dubious of that pick at the time. But the whole thing about Pritchard is he was he was supposed to be an NBA ready guy coming into the league. He played four years at Oregon. Uh, he was in some big games there, and everybody that kind of scouted him said this is a guy who can play right away. And so far, he's lived up to that billing. Uh, he's a shifty ball handler. He can shoot um, on defense. You know, he's not gonna knock anybody's socks off, but he tries pretty hard, and he'll mix it up and get steals every now and then. I've been very impressed, and I think. Uh, it's interesting that, you know, 
in some ways, just on play style alone, he's kind of the closest thing that we have to Kemba Walker on this team that isn't Kemba Walker. So um, I think prior to Kemba coming back, I wouldn't be shocked if Pritchard is playing, you know, upwards of 20 minutes a game going forward uh, just because of his ability to create on offense. I think when Kemba comes back, uh, he's almost certainly going to get, you know, exclusive run as a bench guy, but I think he's got a role on this team. And I think, uh, you know, with when Kemba does come back, Teague and Pritchard off the bench is going to be, I think a reasonably good uh, bench backcourt. So I've been impressed so far. I mean, he really caught my attention uh, that those couple of Pacer games. I mean, he just, I mean, he was, he closed, I mean, he was in the closing lineups for them going down the stretch. I mean, his ability to space the floor. Uh, and like you mentioned, not a great defender, but definitely like pesky. Like I think, I want to say it was the second game, but he, I think he forced an Oladipo turnover late. It may have been a kick ball after he forced it. Um, but no, he, he's definitely caught my eye for those couple games that I watched of the Celtics Pacers up close. Yeah. I mean, he, it, this is such like a, a, a win-win scenario because like Peyton Pritchard, he's basically like a meme selection. And like, he is like, he's just like such a goofy guy and his name, his Twitter name was fast PP until we all tweeted at him fast PP and then he changed it. And then, I, I said coming into the year, the funniest thing that could happen is Peyton Pritchard actually being good. And that seems to have, like, have been what happens. Um, I don't think Pritchard has like a very high ceiling, um, but I am really impressed. Like you hear about like guys being ready made to come in. I mean, he's a hooper, man. Like um, he, like, I, I think honestly, one of the big things Peyton Pritchard has showed me about how valuable it is in the NBA to have confidence in your decision-making and make decisions quick. That's his biggest strength and something that frankly, we don't have a lot of on the Celtics. Um, I, you know, I, I think um, Peyton's real strength is he, um, you know, like I said, quick decision-making, he'll attack the paint. Um, he's got like real rapport and like an understanding as a point guard or, you know, a, a, you know, a playmaker of where guys want the ball. I mean, he and Robert Williams have had some great lob plays like three or four, like early on, um, they seem to have like real chemistry. Like um, he's had some good finds of like guys in the corner. Like he, like when, if Romeo Langford comes back and looks like Romeo Langford did before he, you know, got hurt, Jeff Teague might be on the bench and it might be Peyton Pritchard's backup point guard job. Um, once Kemba's healthy, like, uh, or in wing, you know, wing play. So I'm, I'm, I'm interested to see um, what, you know, what comes of Peyton Pritchard. I'm not, um, I'm not going to hold my breath for him to get too much better than this, but he's already much, much better um, than I thought he would be. Um, And to, you know, if he's, I think, you know, what he is looks real. And I think that's going to be a valuable player um, for the Celtics Um, and something they're desperately going to need with all these injuries. Yeah. I I think you're, you also hit on something with the time Lord Pritchard chemistry. That is a real thing. And I'm looking forward to the buddy cop movie to come. Hell yeah. Fast PP and Time Lord. <laughs> I'm buying my tickets right now. Yeah. Any other positives before we move on to the negatives? You know, uh, I got to say, we, we just talked a lot about how Peyton Pritchard is taking over, you know, all of these backup point guard minutes. But I, I have been pleasantly surprised by Jeff Teague. Uh, I think, you know, a lot of people, including myself, were kind of dubious that he could become a good quality role player after uh, kind of being in the wasteland of Minnesota for 
the amount of time that he was. Uh, but Jeff Teague, you know, he's he's just a perfectly solid, capable guy. Like he comes in, he plays good defense. Uh, you know, he's going to have games where he will be overmatched. I thought in particular, Derek Rose was a really tough matchup for yeah. Jeff Teague. Yeah. But, uh, you know, he can provide quality minutes at a position of need. And I think uh, I, I've been pleasantly surprised by the burst and, and in particular the shooting, which was the big knock on Teague that he's, his three-point shot has fallen off a cliff. You know, so far it's been fine. And uh, I think, you know, we already kind of talked about it, but Tristan Thompson has just been pretty solid. He's, he's very Tristan Thompson. You know, he's going to get rebounds. He'll mix it up uh, on the defensive end. He's, not got, he's probably not the guy that he was at the peak of his powers in Cleveland, but uh, he can still be a pretty high-quality role player. And uh, in the right matchup, he will make an impact on the game. For the duds so far this season, we, we agreed the two-big lineup – Sucks. Now, I initially had Grant Williams as kind of an incomplete because I thought, you know, he needs to get more minutes to, to have an opportunity to do something. And then I realized he's playing like 16, 17, 18 minutes a game and he's just not really doing anything. How do we feel about Grant yeah. so far? I this this makes me very sad because Grant is one of my favorite players and I wish him nothing but success and he just brings so much joy to my life personally so I'm really hoping that Grant can kind of find himself in this team I think part of it is uh that you know Grant I thought at times really thrived as a small ball five last year, just like a dude who could outrun other opposing bigs and space the floor and uh kind of he's a really tenacious rebounder for his size, but there are almost no five minutes to go around on the Celtics with Tice, uh, Robert Williams and um, Tristan Thompson all requiring at least 15 minutes a game or more. So uh, Grant is playing a lot of four, which it's, is kind of tough for him in the modern game. Uh, you know, the NBA at right now, the people who are playing the four in the NBA are, really really fast and uh really good at shooting and grant while having a lot of uh kind of intellectual skills on the defensive end and being able to kind of grind and uh you know muscle up with uh dudes that are bigger than him the big knock on grant defensively is that he's not very quick and uh he's he's just not fast enough to stay in front of a lot of uh nba fours uh, I think there's a chance that Grant will get there and I, uh, later on in the season. And I think, you know, it's entirely possible that like uh, this is just kind of a mini sophomore slump for him. It happens. Uh, and I'm certainly not willing to give up on Grant Williams after six games, but it certainly has been a disappointing start to the season for a guy that I think myself and a lot of people were projecting to have a significant role on the Celtics team. Yeah, I'm, I'm not worried. I'm not worried about Grant at all. Um, I I think, I mean, a it's a it's a low sample size amount of games, and b this situation is tailor made to be bad for Grant. I mean, like we said, the Celtics have three great bigs, um, so Grant is always playing um, power forward or small forward, um, and he's also playing with a team that doesn't have a lot of offensive creation right now, and that's just not. Grant Williams is like bag. I know that's how, you know, I know operating out of the high, you know, post sort of facilitating was how he, he did things in, you know, at um, Tennessee, but that's not, that's not who Grant Williams is in the, you know, the NBA. 
I put a lot more stock in the fact that Grant Williams was playing down the stretch in game seven of against Toronto than I do Grant Williams having a tough six games um, coming off a COVID shortened bubble season, you know, I, I'm, I'm still, I, I've heard people are worried about that. I saw some people on Twitter saying, you know, Grant's a stiff and he's bad. And I no, I'm, I'm not, <laughs> I disagree. I think Grant will be fine. I just think that this situation in particular is very bad for his particular set of skills, which is being a strong defender um, and, you know, not, not, not a great offensive creator at the NBA level. And, but I think that his passing um, and, you know, that strength that we've talked about before, um, I think it's going to come around for Grant um, when we stop, you know, putting him up against, uh, you know, really good, uh, you know, he's getting the top defensive assignment um, uh, for like big guys um, a lot of these nights too. So Jason can kind of, you know, roam and do his steals and play for your free safety, which He's very good at, I mean, the Celtics have created a ton of steals, um, which has, you know, helped them a lot in some of these games, but I, I guess long story short, I'm, I'm not worried about Grant at all. I'm not, I'm not worried at all right now. Talk to, if it's still going on at the all-star break, I'll be more nervous, but uh, I'm, I'm, I'm fine with it right now. How are we feeling about the defense? Cause I mean, you were talking about the steals they generate and yet, you know, it's helped them improve to the 20th best defense in the league. Uh, I don't know if we want to be celebrating that. I, we were last when we started the season, but um, we're getting better, I guess. Uh, how are you feeling about the defense, which clearly is not the, the top five defense of just a few months ago? I would be interested to see what Corey has to say about this, particularly given you know that the Pacers have played Boston twice. What, what have you seen on the defensive end as a kind of outside observer? I mean, I, again, I think like there's still the issue in terms of Jalen Brown's, um, you know, just getting caught ball watching off ball and like getting beat. Um, I, I still think, I still think Jason Tatum is, has been that good two way, two way defender that he was last year that we really saw him improve on. Um, you know, Marcus Smart is Marcus Smart. Um, again, I, I don't, I'm not as big on guy like Daniel Tice, like the couple of games that the Pacers play against the Celtics, I thought Daniel Tice was kind of something that the Pacers like to attack. Um, it, it, those have really been my biggest takeaways. And again, like, I don't think, you know, even though Peyton Pritchard has been pesky, I don't think the backup guard play has very much defensive upside for the Celtics team. Yeah. They're they're pretty small in the backcourt. Uh, and particularly, particularly right now, they're just, they're not going to be able to stop anyone. I mean, I remember seeing Peyton Pritchard getting swallowed up by, by Kevin Durant. And I was just like, Oh God, welcome to the NBA. It's, it's not optimal. Um, but as far as Tice goes, I mean, he was playing, I, I believe, a four in both Indiana games, and that's just something he's not used to doing. He admitted as much after one of the one of the games. How much of this is the too big lineup? I mean, it's only like, you know, between 15 and 20 minutes a game. How much of it is just, you know, people kind of getting back into playing organized basketball after a long break? I mean, I – Part of it, I, I think, um, I don't know. I, I do think that, um, I, I think part of it is also the, just that the Celtics, the Celtics seem to have a lot of um, live ball turnovers too. I, I, the transition defense in particular has been pretty putrid to me. Um, and I think the two big lineup might be 
a part of that in terms of like who's getting back, you know, when and where. Um, I, I also just, um, I also think that it's too early in the season to know really if the Celtics have a good defense or a bad defense. I mean, they got their doors blown off by the Nets and that's enough to take you from, you know, fifth to 10th, you know, <laughs> like yeah. one bad, one bad game will do a bad job. Like the Celtics could have made hay against the Pistons, but they had that first quarter where they turned the ball over what eight times, yeah. whatever it was last night. So like, I, I that stuff's going to have an outsized um, effect on the Celtics. You know, you know what we actually know about the Celtics in terms of, uh, you know, turnover, like, like where they are defensively. Um, I'm more worried about the offense in the long run, to be honest, than the defense. Um, I, I do not think what, what are the Celtics right now in offense eighth or something like that, or there's some, they're high on offense and low on defense. They're in the top third in offense and bottom third in, um, in defense. Um, and that's, that's not sustained. That's going to flip. Um, I, I don't think that that's, I think both of those are results of small sample size in the Celtics playing primarily games against teams that um, get out and run and play fast. Um, and we're playing, you know, a fast pace. Um, I know, I know there's efficiency and stuff like that, but baskets also get scored at a higher clip when you are playing, um, you know, when there's no defense, you know, like obviously you, you can playing fast, even, even when um, efficiency is accounting for pace, you still score at a higher rate because there's obviously there's just less defenders. Um, so yeah. I, I'm not, I'm not really worried about the Celtics defense. Brad Stevens every year ends the season with a top five defense. I'm not going to, uh, you know, Enos Cantor started for this team last year for large parts of it. And we were the top five, you know, it'll be fine. <laughs> it'll be yeah. fine. In my opinion. Sam, I, I think some, you got at something that is a pretty important part of this story, which is that the Celtics uh, defensive metrics have been really bad in large part because their transition defense has been horrendous. And <laughs> a lot of that comes down to live ball turnovers and the fact that the Celtics have a lot of dudes that are being asked to step up in a playmaking role, despite yes. not necessarily having done a whole lot of that. You know, Marcus Smart had a ton of turnovers the other night against Detroit. I think it, there's just going to be, we do need to sort out a lot of stuff on the offensive end to minimize those turnovers. And once that happens, I think the defense will look a little bit better by comparison. There is one thing that has been kind of troubling to me, which is that uh, every year that the Celtics have uh, had Brad Stevens as the coach, they've done a really good job defending the three uh, that's something that's been true of almost all of his teams. And this year, it's a small sample size so far, obviously, but the Celtics have really not done a very good job of closing out on shooters and against some teams that are not particularly threatening from deep. Obviously, the Pacers have reinvented their offense and the Nets have Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving and the Bucks are a hot shooting team. So maybe that's a little bit of an exaggeration, but Memphis, Detroit, not exactly lighting it up. Uh, and there's still been kind of a troubling lack of intensity on some of those closeouts. So that's stuff that will get cleaned up in time, I think. And a big part of this is going to be when Kemba Walker does come back. Uh, you know, Kemba, while Kemba himself is not an individually great defender, I think the net impact of having a competent playmaker and ball handler who can minimize those turnovers uh, will help the defense overall. 
So it's kind of TBD for that. Speaking of shooting, Aaron Neesmith. <sighs> are we worried? Are we excited? Where are we? Like, like how do we feel about his, um, shall we say, lack of playing time? Yeah, this is one of those things that uh, Brad is just kind of driving me up the wall with. You know, I, I get that there's some concerns about Aaron Neesmith's conditioning and obviously he's coming off a major foot injury and has this condensed off season. And it's not like he's lit the world on fire when he has played, but you know, if the Celtics are taking this kind of light handed approach to the beginning of the season, and they're just kind of trying to see what they have as far as like young dudes and rotations go. And they're less concerned about winning these games as they are about sorting out their team to be the best possible version of themselves come playoff time. That's all well and good, but you you need to see what you have in Aaron Neesmith. Like, I just don't get why Carson Edwards is getting heavy minutes over him or, you know, why he can't come in, uh, you know, when we're blowing out Memphis by 30. Like, this is, this is a thing that uh, has driven me up the wall with Brad for a long time now is that his kind of stubborn refusal to play really young dudes. Um, and I, I kind of get it, but you know, you, you got to see what you have with this dude, if for nothing else than to, you know, create another asset that can be used in a trade package and his complete lack of playing time to me is, is it, it, it's just another move of the, the Virgin Brad Stevens rearing its ugly head again. So we'll see. He needs to go in the lake. We're, 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 take, we're going back to Orlando. We're going to throw him <laughs> in the lake again um, <laughs> to, play the, to play the rookies. I think, you know, I, I'm not, again, six games into the season, I'm not worried about Aaron Neesmith. I don't know if anybody remembers Jalen Brown's rookie year. Um, it was not <laughs> – it was not great. Obviously, Aaron Neesmith is not going to be a Jalen Brown player, but uh, – you very Peyton Pritchards are rare rookies are it's very rare to have a rookie contributor um you know so I'm not uh I, I'm not really worried about that I don't think Aaron Nisa is going to play much once Kemba's healthy and Romeo's back um so you know I, but I, you know if, if we want to talk about Aaron though I do I will say I am I am impressed with his activity and I think he's a good rebounder for his position Mm-hmm. Um, you know, he's struggled shooting the ball. He's supposedly a shooting specialist. We haven't seen that yet. He missed a lot in the Memphis game, but um, it does look like he's going to be a plus um, rebounder once he starts winning, you know, his, his war against the out of bounds line, which he, <laughs> he the time. Um, so w- w- once he gets that, you know, sort of under control, I, I do think the Celtics, you know, and if he could, could be, you know, a, a good shooter, you know, a 380, 390 type guy, in the NBA, uh, you know, the Celtics have a real player on their hands. So I'm, I'm, I'm excited for that. I just, uh, I don't think that's going to be part of the Celtics. Um, you know, the final form of the Celtics this year, hopefully if everything goes right, I mean, maybe, maybe thing, if things, if he is something went wrong somewhere. <laughs> Which I will say it would be awfully nice given what we saw last night to have Sadiq Bay on this team. Who could have seen that coming? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, speaking of uh memphis guys it would have been really great if uh the boston celtics with the 30th pick in the draft had selected uh desmond bain, desmond bain. Can you imagine if they had done that? oh wait they did do that and what happened oh that's right they traded it to dumpiness Cantor, who they gave a second year to ah, uh. <laughs> anyway 
that's like the worst, the most damaging I've ever seen a $5 million signing be to a franchise. That Enos Cantor signing. Uh, it no, cost him a first round pick. It, it <laughs> stunted Grant and Rob. Like, really terrible. Really bad. <laughs> but hey, they won that Lakers game. So, where he went off. So, I Noted. guess. It's- Noted CIA asset, Enos Cantor. <laughs> <laughs> Bill Clinton's close personal friend. Exactly. <laughs> so, I don't know about you guys, but like, I, I mean, I know that this is kind of like a probatory period where they're seeing what they have. But I mean, this team should be gearing up to win a title. And is there some realistically, is there something that, and I don't mean this in a mean way because they're working really hard and they're showing progress, but Carson Edwards why is he on the team? Yeah. 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 I mean, you could say that about taco. I mean, semi's had some nice games, but we're on what year four of, of semi all due respect. Yeah. You know, I love semi works hard. Uh, I love all the stories about uh, him, him getting in the Ojale factory and just, you know, lifting weights. But the, the thing is, you know, those guys aren't, playing very much either so like i'm not sure who those roster spots would like if they would go to guys who were like ready to play if it would matter. i mean this is just kind of what happens when you have a team where three max free agents leave in two years you know mm. like i think it's hard to forget that because when this happens to a lot of teams they're ruined and rebuilding but because of the celtics and where they were with their draft assets and you know guys developing and everything they're still been able to, you know, get back to the Eastern conference finals and do some of this other stuff. Um, albeit, you know, with a little bit of luck um, with the way things, you know, broke in the bubble, but boy, I'm still pissed. They blew that series to the heat. Um, but I, I, I don't know. I, I really think, I, I really think that the, the main thing with the Celtics is going to be getting healthy this year. Um, I think a lot of the development is going to cut a lot of the, the Celtics path to getting better realistically is going to be seeing which of these young guys pops, you know, you know, it's not looking like grand early might be Rob. Um, you know, we'll see what Romeo looks like when he gets back. And then, you know, we've already seen Jalen add something, you know, if Jason can add, add finishing through contact into his repertoire, that changes the Celtics ceiling, you know, like this is the thing about having a, a young team, you know, you know, people don't think of the Celtics like this because of, you know, how ahead of schedule they were early on, but they really are still in the window where you can do nothing and improve just by virtue of your young guys getting better. That's how many young guys they have on this team. Everyone wants to dunk on them for not trading for a year of Paul George or a year of, uh, you know, Kawhi Leonard or whatever was going to happen there. Mm -hmm. Um, But this is, you know, this is the result of that is that the Celtics can be afforded to be um, a little bit patient and still, you know, realistically have a real path, I think, to the, the finals and with a little bit of luck, even be like NBA champions if Kemba Walker's healthy, you know, but the, I think the thing at the end of the day is you got to be lucky in the NBA, you know, you got to be lucky. Like, does that Toronto Kawhi trade, if, if uh, you know, Clay and Kevin Durant don't get hurt, what do we think of that, you know, two years later, you know, that the things, things ebb and flow in the NBA, totally based on injuries and, what things look like in the playoffs. So I think the Celtics focus has just got to be on getting healthy um, and, you know, seeing what they have. 
um, for now, but it's, I just think in the meantime, it's going to be a rough regular season. Yeah. I mean, one thing also to keep in mind is that the Celtics don't have a G league team this year. And a lot of these dudes like taco and green and uh, Tremont waters and Carson Edwards would be getting run uh, on the main red claws, but because of the way that the things are operating in the COVID era, um, they are going to be on the active roster until they have to be waived. So we'll see. Yeah, but I, I largely agree. I think the Celtics championship aspirations will not be made or broken by the amount of playing time that Carson Edwards gets at the beginning of the season. They've clearly been instructed to not discuss any of that at length either. I've tried probing a number of them on that issue and they just talk about how excited they are to be able to play with the team. And yeah. One last order of business before we get out of here. I know it's way too early to talk about the traded player exception as a realistic thing to happen anytime soon. But based on what we're seeing so far around the league, who are we interested in most? Uh, I would just note that the Washington Wizards are one and four and Davis Bertans falls within the range of the trade player exception and would be an incredible fit. <laughs> Javis, come home, baby. The Latin laser. Jason Tatum, Jason Tatum favorite, I would like to add. Really? Jason Tatum loves, loves Davis Berton. So let's make it happen, people. Let's get the Latvian laser in the building. Yeah. I have a I mean, question. Would you guys have any interest in the other Grant, that being Jeremy Grant? Like does he he falls in that TPE range as well, doesn't he? Really? He fucking he gave us worse. Sure, yeah, that would be great. Yesterday, I didn't realize Jeremy Grant was such a hooper, man. Like he, he looked like uh, he looked like T.J. Warren last night. (laughs) He really did. Like he really was. Like, like I'm not. I'm not even like being like sarcastic either. Like he was. uh, He was. I've always thought of him as being like a defensive specialist, and he's like. He was he was really getting to the hole. He was shooting threes. I mean, yeah, he'd be he'd be a great fit on the team. Um, if um, you know, but he'd have to again. He'd have to play more of the three. It's that thing where the Celtics are back to having such a you know big um, you know big. Uh, they they need they need they need floor spacing in a bad way. Um, but but I mean, look, I, I think I think he'd be a great fit. I just don't know if Detroit's going to give up on him in year one of whatever <laughs> million dollar uh, thing they, they signed him to. I thought that was a really bad deal at the time, but um, looks like the joke's on me. He's actually, the, it seems like he was ready for that, man. He's the best player. So, yeah. <laughs> so in, in terms of uh, Davis Bertans, now you were floating this earlier in a chat, Alex. Uh, do you really think now, your, your trade proposal for him involved a certain Aaron Neesmith. Yeah. Do you really I mean, think that he's going to, Danny Ainge in the front office is going to give up on a player like him in the first year? Um, the Neesmith idea was just something that I was kind of fooling around with. I don't necessarily agree that Danny would just punt on Neesmith in year one. But that being said, given the amount of young dudes that are on this team, I wouldn't be shocked if Neesmith is a player uh, that uh, he's not exactly off limits. Let's put it that way. I think Bertans can provide a really, like that dude is an absolutely lethal floor spacer and he can just rain on teams if you're not careful. So I wouldn't be shocked if Daniel Tice and a young player of some kind is worth it to get uh, Bertans on the team. 
uh, you know, whether that's Neesmith or Langford or Carson Edwards or Semi, uh, who knows. But, you know, the fact is we've got more young guys than minutes for them. And one of those guys is almost certainly going to be involved in uh, any sort of trade that we use uh, this TPE on. Yeah. I mean, I think that's the, that's the drawback with where the Celtics are at right now. Um, and our negotiations is nobody um, has really built up real trade value. I think that the young player that probably has the most trade value, who's not like a, a core, a clear core piece at this point is probably Robert Williams um, just because he had the big series against Toronto and, you know, he is, showing more, but I really don't want to give up on Robert Williams, which is probably why he's the one who has the trade value. So um, yeah, I mean, that's, that's kind of the, that's kind of the tough part um, is the Celtics, you know, the Celtics do have um, all their own, they're a pick neutral for the first time in forever. Um, so they have all their own picks going forward. So, you know, there are options there in terms of cap equity. And like we said, we, they have so many young guys, um, they'd be able to trade for any of them, but uh, yeah, it's really going to depend on which teams, um, you know, take a look at their roster and decide, all right, it's time to, you know, pull the plug on this stuff and, um, you know, kind of see where, see, see where we're at. Um, you know, just a quick point of clarity for some people. Cause I think that um, some, some people might not understand that um, some of the, with the, um, the traded player exception, it's big. It's not, you know, Bradley Beal big. It's not, um, you know, real top tier star player big. I mean, you can't aggregate that with other player salary. Um, so that won't be part of it for the Celtics. Um, what they might do is they can trade for a player um, into the traded player exception who will have that kind of salary and then later make that player part of a Bradley Beal trade or, you know, whichever big star becomes available. They can aggregate salary in that case. Um, and that was always going to be the advantage of if the Gordon Hayward Pacers deal for, you know, Miles Turner did go through, um, you know, that was one of the big points and the advantage is you can aggregate um, player salary. You cannot aggregate um, a traded player exception. So just point of clarity for a trade machine Picasso's out there who are uh, looking at this. So a couple other guys that are being mentioned as potential candidates, um, they're not super appealing and I just want to get you guys thoughts on guys like Aaron Gordon or Larry Nance. Those are two names that seem to be coming up pretty often as potential TPE fillers. I have not really seen it with Aaron Gordon, to be honest. Um, he's, I, he's in like what, year six, year seven now, something like that. And it just seems like he's not ever going to really be much more than he currently is. Perfectly fine defensive role player, uh, cool dunks, very funky, nice hair. Um, but outside of that, I, I don't really see it. And I don't really see it at the price point. Maybe you can sell me on Aaron Gordon as a possible uh, part of a package for another star like Bradley Beal or some such, but I, I'm, I don't see it personally. Yeah. The problem with those guys is I just, those guys are, you know, those guys play big, you know, they play four and down and that's not really what the Celtics need right now. They'd really need help at the, you know, the wing positions two and three um, in particular. Um, and that's, you know, where even with a fully, you know, healthy roster, you know, there's a spot for those kind of guys, um, you know, with Jason, T Jason Tatum can be, you know, a power forward, um, you know, he can play three and you, you know, if you do have a power forward, like 
Davis Bertans who could stretch the floor. There's more fit there, but um, neither Aaron Gordon nor Larry Nance are really, you know, sharpshooters. So, um, you know, I would, I would be looking more at, this isn't sexy, but you know, guys like Thomas Sadoransky, if the bulls get off to like a, mm. a, a tough start, you know, some, someone, someone like that, you know, like, you know, that's where the Celtics are going to be opportunistic. Who's going to be a bad team this year. Um, who's going to have a guard. Um, you know, you're talking about like starting guards on really trash teams, like Stephen Curry. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Ooh, got him. Got their ass. That would be beautiful. Yeah, I mean, Harrison Barnes is, is the guy that I have always kind of thought the Celtics are going to wind up getting out of this. Um, and Harrison Barnes is is very much Harrison Barnes. He is exactly what you expect at this point. A perfectly fine wing who can hit threes and be long and is not particularly exciting or phenomenal at anything. Uh, I would be fine with it. Obviously, it's not a particularly sexy name, but, you know. I, I tend to agree with Sam. It's going to be kind of do starters that are uh, not in the long-term plans of teams that are bad. And Harrison Barnes, Thomas Sadoransky, potentially Malik Monk, those guys kind of fit the bill. So what's our consensus before we get out of here? Just uh, wait and see, see is kind of still the, the word at the moment. Yeah, I, I'm not, I mean, it's frustrating. This this has pretty much been, you know, what I expected. Um, overall, I'd say for long, in terms of long term, I'm actually pretty excited because I didn't expect this improvement out of Jalen Brown, and I, I'm more excited about that than I am disappointed about any, you know, turning the ball over eight times in, in the first quarter and losing to Detroit. You know, like that's pretty. You know, that was like a pretty fluky thing. I mean. The Pacers are, are a really good team and, you know, a couple of one possession games, either way, you, you know, you split those, um, beat the Bucks. I mean, the Nets one, one was the only one that really blew the doors. Celtics really got their doors blown off. And I, you know, I, I'm not, uh, we'll, we'll, we'll see what that looks like later on in the year when things are healthy, but I'm, I'm not panicking really right now. Um, you know, if the Celtics are still, 500 come trade deadline. Maybe it, maybe it is time and, you know, Kemba's back and it's just not working. Um, maybe then you, you can start panicking and thinking about really ways to upgrade the roster, but I, I still want to see what happens once, once the Celtics get healthy, they just got to kind of tread water until that time. Yeah, I totally agree. I think the key is for them getting healthy. You know, Brown has taken another step forward. I think it's quite possible that we'll have three all-star level players come playoff time, which is just really hard to beat in any scenario, no matter how much you want to stretch it. Uh, And, you know, the identity of this team still hinges on Walker's health and potentially what they do with this TBE. But, you know, a, a disappointing start to the season on some level, sure, but I think there's certainly room for optimism, especially with the growth of Brown and uh, the effectiveness of guys like Pritchard and Rob. You know, we will see. Glad to hear that from you guys because I have been largely unconcerned with what I've seen so far. I'm not happy about it, but I'm also not particularly worried about it. Um, I'm also looking at this as kind of just like an extended preseason and, you know, there's good stuff to see. There's bad stuff to see. I'm more excited about the good things that we're seeing from people like Jalen Brown, than I am about the bad things that we're seeing uh, from like the people who aren't going to be playing in the playoffs anyway. So yeah. anything we want to plug before we get out of here? 
Uh, I've been slacking on my latest piece for OTG. Uh, it's going to be a six-part series about some of the lineups that I am most excited for coming into this year. Uh, I'm going to be going division by division and doing at least one lineup for each team that I think is going to be cool and giving them a watchability rating scale determined entirely by my own interest. So, um, Yeah, I'd... Uh, as a as a retired writer, uh, no longer connected to any outlets, uh, do do have a podcast, ATL podcast. Um, listen, uh, we do no serious analysis. Uh, we are just Celtics fans uh, uh, being weird and uh, being uh, r- really really going for it. So, uh, that any of that ca- tickles your fancy, um, definitely check out ATO podcast or uh, you know follow me on Twitter at Sam Sheehan. What's good. Corey had to leave, but he has full access Pacers on the Off the Glass uh, podcast network. So check that out if you can. And as always, you will see me slogging through the season, muttering about people not driving to the hoop and fun stuff like that on the Celtics Wire. If you liked what you heard, please give us five stars. You know how this goes. If you don't like what you hear, please just let us know. We are people and we are you know, receptive to reasonable suggestions. So give us some. Um, use the hashtag CLPOD. We check it a few times a year, I swear. Um, we're also, you know, trying to bring you the best, deepest, most amazing dives into Celtics coverage we possibly can. Hopefully we did. 